You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller. In the industry of technology transfer, diverse perspectives from around the world help us understand how things work in other countries and also provide fresh ideas to explore in our own organizations. Joining us today is Dr. Hoiying Ng. Dr. Ng is an Associate Director with the Industry Liaison Office, also known as ILO, from the National University of Singapore. Dr. Ng is also an Adjunct Assistant Professor at the Department of Biomedical Engineering, where she co-teaches a freshman module. Dr. Ng has published countless research papers on cardiovascular treatments and interventions, and continues her research to further medical technological advancements. Dr. Ng, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the air. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. You're our very first guest from Singapore. Really excited to learn more about you and tech transfer at the National University of Singapore. Yeah, now I feel super honored that I'm the first one from Singapore here. It's so exciting to have you on. And so I wanted to ask you, Ho Young, um, I know in 2019, you earned an advanced certificate in technopreneurship. I also know you have a material science and engineering background. So with all that, what inspired you to work in tech transfer? After I finished my PhD, you know, I was really quite prepared to continue working in the research lab, being a postdoc and research fellow. But actually, a good opportunity came, and somehow I landed uh, in a med tech team at a local hospital. So during my time with the team, I was constantly exposed to tech commercialization and translational activities. So that really sparked an interest in me, and it was something that I don't think I've uh, seen while doing my PhD. And the environment I was in made it very conducive for me to grow that passion. So I think there's something about you know working in a dynamic setting like a hospital. Because every day we see the patient, we take the same uh, leaves at them and seeing all those unmet clinical needs daily really let you drive the kind of work um, we do there. Yeah. And I would imagine, given your technical expertise in engineering, that this was something that really helps you to commercialize innovations. Yeah. And I think um, at the onset, you know, we were quite focused on the engineering side of things, you know, trying to always um, improve the the device and the projects that we're on. But as we get exposed to more on the translational side, then I think a different skill set had to come in and then we have to really pick it up and learn along the way. Yes, I imagine it's been quite a journey. And and I was wondering, you know, given that and all you've had to learn along the way, what's one piece of advice you might have for someone who's new to the profession of tech transfer? So I think I've been sort of like in the tech transfer since since my work at the hospital for maybe I would say five to six years now. So I would think uh, one advice I would say is to not underestimate the impact one can bring to the innovation ecosystem. Because I think right now at um, where we are, tech transfer is quite a niche uh, area of work. And I feel like most people will feel that tech transfer is just an admin job or it's not really technical because it's not research work, right? 
And the career titles and progression-wise is very clearly defined for academics and researchers, but not so for somebody in the tech transfer role. I'm not sure if it's the same case in the US like it's in Singapore here. And yet I feel like the tech transfer office plays such a unique role in combining the science and the business side of things. So you do need solid input from both parties to bring an innovation to the market. And I hope those new to the translation scene can see that. I think initially when I was um, a scientist or rather an engineer, you know, I felt like uh, bringing a solution from, from, from the lab to the market is just bringing something that we have done and then telling the people that, okay, buy this solution from us. But now that I'm in the tech transfer role, I see that this journey itself is not as easy as I thought it should be. <laughs> yeah. And it's still such a challenging thing to do for a different project. Absolutely. And that's very similar to what we hear in tech transfer offices um, in Europe as well as the U.S. And now that you've been in tech transfer for, for a little bit, um, what would you say still surprises you about it? I would say uh, how trying and how unique each tech transfer process is still surprises me for different projects, right? I think there are no like cookie cutter template or hard and fast rule for us to apply when working on a tech transfer process. So while there are certainly good practices or like common knowledge and wisdom to adhere to, but there's simply no shortcut when it comes to this. I, I can't say that just because I've done one biotech tech transfer process, you know, the next one is going to be shorter and easier for me. And the whole team has got to put in the hard work due diligence while navigating the uncertainties in the market. So I find that rather fascinating. So, you know, I don't know, perhaps one day an AI can streamline some of these processes <laughs> for us. I hope not, because one of the things I really enjoy about doing this podcast is talking to all people in tech transfer, people like yourself. So I'm hoping AI won't uh, won't go too far down that road and eliminate the need for, for tech transfer professionals like yourself. So, Hoi Young, I wanted to ask you, you know, we've been talking about how complex um, tech transfer is. And when it comes to IP, there's regional differences. IP in the U.S. is very different than, you know, IP in Europe, very different than IP in Singapore. So given all that, I'm kind of curious to know how tech transfer works in Singapore. So here in Singapore, at least the university that I work in, we work closely with the inventors right on the get-go. So usually we will encourage them to have a chat with the people in our office, no matter what stage of their project they are in. So as long as they think IP is being generated, they can file a disclosure with my office. So my team then does our internal assessment and will strategize how we can best protect the uh, invention. So perhaps it's keeping it as a trade secret, a know-how, or maybe then we'll pursue a conventional patent filing. So ideally, we'll be having the discussion with the team to understand their long-term plan for the invention. Like, do they plan to license or spin off? And we'll then facilitate the necessary meetings and plannings to get things started. So I, can, I guess that's kind of like a brief overview of how we do IP protection here. And then I would imagine, do you work with outside law firms to get that IP filed? Or do you have Singaporean patent attorneys kind of in your office or are they separate? So there are like actually a lot of good uh, patent law firm in Singapore. And uh, we have a list of um, vendors that we have already worked with them previously with good outcomes. So we constantly go back to the um, law firms that help us do the filing. So we don't have an in-house law firm. Got it. Hoi Young, I wanted to ask you, could you tell us a little bit about how the National University of Singapore supports tech transfer? I joined NUS last year in February 2022 and was impressed at the support and the culture they have here for commercialization and tech transfer. 
We do it through more four main approaches. Firstly, we have education programs that are targeted to empowering researchers and profs to be part of the tech transfer journey. The NUS Overseas College is a key program whereby we send students overseas for attachment in startup ecosystem so that they can get exposure and gain first-hand experience. So we also have a master in venture creation module for those who are keen to go deeper. Secondly, when it comes to research, my office will support IP filing and IP strategies spanning across physical sciences, life sciences, and the ICT verticals. Thirdly, for innovation, we have infrastructure that support um, commercialization, such as setting up a minimal viable product studio for teams to do quick prototyping. And we have internal get funding to help researchers generate more useful data that the industry might want to see. Lastly, when it comes to enterprise, the startup scene in NUS is quite vibrant. We have the Graduate Research Innovation Program, which is a comprehensive step-by-step -step guidance program to enable post-grad students and researchers to transform research into deep tech startup. So I think this is an overview of how we really are pushing for commercialization and tech transfer in NUS. Wow, that's quite a system that you have. And you mentioned a little bit about um, having some gap funding available, because I mean, obviously, when it comes to developing technology, you need to have that financial support. So in addition to the gap funding that you have, is there government funding and other support available to help develop and commercialize innovations there? There are numerous uh, agency and government grants that are meant to support the commercialization of technologies in Singapore. So these grants can be sector agnostic, like for example, the National Research Foundation has a central gap grant, or they can be tailored for a specific industry. So we have the National Health Innovation Center, and this grant agency is focused on mainly medtech and biotech projects. There are also grants that encourage a strategic industry collaboration, such as those administered by ASTAR. So the aim is to foster industry-relevant public sector R&D efforts with clear translational outcomes. Now, Hoi Young, I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, every technology comes with its own obstacles. It's just kind of the normal part and process of commercialization. What are some of the most common challenges you face when working to commercialize a technology and how do you work to overcome those obstacles and those problems? I felt like in the earlier days, a common problem that I faced was that some technologies we see do not have the right product market fit. Like there were more technologies looking for solution uh, instead of the other way around. So sometimes these technologies are really quite far down their development. And when we tell them to pivot, you know, a lot must be done in order to do so. And sometimes the initial is quite high. But I think with the increased adoption of the uh, design thinking methodology, I feel I'm seeing less and less of that now. So I would say one common challenge currently would be that it's difficult to have uh, sufficient talent to sustain the innovation pipeline. So I'm thinking in terms of you know, having the right uh, research and startup because most people will still prefer a stable job and thus unwilling to venture out to, to be part of the startup. So I think perhaps there's a, a, also a sense of failure that you know we actively try to avoid here. So obviously people do associate startup with a high rate of failure. So I think that having the right people to be part of the tech transfer or even the startup scene um, is one common challenge that I face. 
So Hu Young, I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned before you send students overseas um, to get some training um, on entrepreneurship and working in startups. And I'm wondering with respect to the the challenges and the obstacles you just described, are, are you seeing, you know, that education maybe overseas helping maybe change the mindset and the view uh, in terms of entrepreneurship in Singapore or not really? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. And I think sending students overseas definitely will help with the challenge of having sufficient talent in our ecosystem. Um, these students, usually they go to uh, the attachment on the third year of their university education. So when they come back, you know, they still have to finish uh, one year locally before they graduate. And I think when they are there, they, they definitely get that kind of exposure that we want them to have. I have a lot of friends who were... Um, attached to a startup in Silicon Valley while taking courses in Stanford. So I think while they are there, they really were very influenced by the culture and, and the mindset of the people there. They, they get a good sense of how working in a startup might look like. And then when they come back, I feel like some of them realize that, you know, it's not exactly the same uh, culture or environment that they were used to overseas. So they may or may not want to continue in that uh, in the local ecosystem. Good luck as you continue to to plug away at that. Now, Hoi Young, I know you've been at NUS for a few years now, but I wanted to ask you, what is one aspect of your work uh, at the university that you're most proud of? So for me, I think it will be that we was we are supporting our own NUS startup and the founders. So in my line of work, I I have had the privilege of meeting and hearing the stories of these founders who have decided to take the leap and start their own companies. So like I mentioned before, you know, doing the startup route in Singapore definitely is considered but not conventional because it's always easier to find a job, a stable job with the government or a big MNC and then um, continue to, to do things the way you know how. And I speaking to these founders, you know, I've really enjoyed hearing the genesis of things, how the company started and why they decided to do or develop the solution that um, they pour all their heart and soul into and then listening to their struggles and perhaps even brainstorming with them on how to overcome these challenges. So even most, even though most of the time there are limitations to the kind of help that I can provide personally or even on a professional front, they seem really glad that at least someone understands and is trying to help. So I always tell them that supporting NUS Startup is part of my job. And I think it's the part that I truly enjoy. Yeah, it sounds like you really do. And I'm curious along the same lines, you know, how do you think the culture and ideals of Singapore influence the type of technologies that you're seeing developed there? I think culture is so important because it shapes many things we do and adopt in the society. It's, it's the same thing here in Singapore. So when certain technologies or verticals are being emphasized by the government here, there will be more people willing to build and grow the space. So this in turn will generate traction and infrastructure that will support the development and adoption of such technologies. So for example, I think um, Singapore has always focused on providing world-class healthcare to its citizen. And this in turn has inspired many healthcare-related innovation to arise. So I think that was what attracted me to work at the National Heart Centre before my role at NUS also. So clinicians are actually encouraged to get into the innovation space to develop better solutions to address the unmet needs that they see daily. And recently, with the government's emphasis on food sufficiency, technologies in the food science and agriculture space have grown tremendously. So there are now several dedicated institutions that have been set up to zoom in on new ways and solutions to help Singapore improve its food security. 
So Hui Young, I wanted to ask you, you know, in the U.S., one of the issues that a lot of tech transfer offices face is trying to get more women inventors. And we have a huge disparity here in the U.S. um, with um, a lack of women inventors, also a lack of inventors, um, black inventors and other underrepresented groups. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what does it look like there in Singapore? Do you face kind of a, a similar challenge that we have here in the U.S. where you know, there's a um, fewer women inventors than there are uh, male inventors. Yeah, uh, Lisa, I think that is a that is a great question, and I think we face the same issue that you do in in the U.S., whereby there are just in generally less women in the STEM industry, and um, that is being translated into the inventors and founders we see in our local innovation ecosystem. Now, do you have any programs to try and incentivize more women inventors? I mean, that's something we're working on here in the U.S. Not only the tech transfer offices, but the U.S. Patent Office, for example, has some programs directed towards increasing those numbers. So I think I'm seeing an increased uh, emphasis and also program that's targeted to encourage uh, women to grow in in the STEM industry. I know that uh, one of the, I would think is NUS had, have this program that's called Women in Science, whereby they hold uh, seminars and meetings regularly for people who or women who are in the STEM industry to meet up and chat and, and to share their um, challenges. So is, I find that it was a good platform for me to meet the rest of the um, female founders and inventors who are in the space and to also hear you know, some of those who have already gone before us and did very well in, in what they do to, to hear some wisdom from, from them. And I think there are some uh, grants and programs here that are targeted um, in encouraging female founders or inventors to apply and then helping them with their research and innovation. So Ho Young, as the podcast comes to a close, I wanted to ask you, what's your hope for the future of tech transfer in Singapore as well as on a global scale? And I feel like being in this sector and seeing after doing this for a while that at the end of the day, it's all about people. I, I hope to see more talent joining the tech transfer ecosystem. And I hope that we will have more initiatives that are focused on tech transfer so that there can be more exchanges of ideas and good practices between like-minded people who are in the same space. Well, Young, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and learning more about your work at NUS and the process of tech transfer in Singapore. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a wrap for this week's show. Catch you next time on the air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller, signing off for now. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, 
and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.